The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome on board for episode 58 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 22nd of March 2010. My name is Edwin Herman. Normally I'm joined by my co-host Brett King, but he's unavailable this week, so I'm afraid you're stuck with me. Now, before I launch into the show, I just wanted to share with you something I discovered this week. Sichuan peppercorn. Now, if you've never tried some, it's a food, it's a spice, uh, native to China, the name Sichuan gives that away. Uh, if you've never tried it before, you should. It's it's a very bizarre experience. It's kind of like the taste you get when you lick a 9-volt battery. Have you ever done that before? I'm sure you have. We've all licked 9-volt batteries at some point in our lives. And this is exactly what this thing tastes like, with a little bit of lemon sort of back flavor to it. But as well as that, you also get this numbing sensation, this kind of local anesthetic feel. So you get a tingly tongue and tingly lips with a sort of a numb sensation, mixed in with this 9-volt battery taste and a little bit of lemon, if you can imagine that. And that's what it tastes like. And I was a little worried at first because I bought this jar of chili oil that made in China, you know, imported here into the country. And when I ate it and I got the sensation, I thought, oh my goodness, they've, they've got something dodgy in here. This is probably something harmful or dangerous or something. What am I eating? And I did a little bit of research. And in fact, I'll tell you how I found it out. I, go- I did a Google search for Chinese taste tingly metallic. And one of the sites that came up with was talking about the Sichuan peppercorn. And, uh, you know, they showed pictures of it. And I looked into the chili oil that I had. And I matched the shapes of the little pods that I saw with what was on the website. And there we go. So anyway, if you ever get a chance to try Sichuan peppercorn, do it. It's it's quite unique, I tell you that. And very worrying, at least if you're from the West and you have no idea what you've just eaten, that gives you this bizarre sensation. All right, with that aside, I guess I can kick off the show now. Microsoft says it decimated the WhaleDAC botnet. Now, you may recall in episode 55, we talked about Microsoft wanting to take on this WhaleDAC botnet. The approach that Microsoft had was basically to yank its domain names through a legal process that allows them to do that. And they did. And the result is that it was effective. It worked. There were 270 domains suspected in channeling the command and control instructions to the the botnet computers. And so they yanked the domain names and it it worked. They reckon that they've effectively disabled 70 to 80,000 nodes of this botnet. So that's great news. The question, of course, I have is, what about those people with the malware still on their computers? Okay, so it's not really sending out any new spam or anything like that, but surely it's still chewing up CPU cycles. And doesn't it have the potential to come alive again? I'm not for a minute suggesting that what Microsoft did was futile and wasting their efforts. Not at all. It's it's a great thing. But somehow it'd be kind of nice if they could... I don't know, maybe somehow alert, this might be a bit of a long shot, but if they could somehow alert the users of these computers in some way that they're infected still. But at least the botnet's been taken down. The bad news associated with this, however, is that spam levels haven't really decreased. Now, you're probably wondering, 
Why? How can that be? How can you? How can you not decrease spam levels when you've taken out eighty thousand spam nodes on the internet? Well, the answer is is that the people who run the botnets are not the same people who send out the spam. The spammers rent use of the botnets from the botnet operators. So when the botnet goes down, the spammers simply go to the next guy. They just go to the next botnet and say, right, I want to rent time on uh, on your botnet. And away they go again. And so the spam just carries on. So that's the unfortunate thing about spam. It just, well, it's not going to go away. At least not anytime soon. Now, the other thing I wanted to follow up on was that last week in the episode 57, we talked about an HTC Android phone which had a bunch of malware on it. And Vodafone assured us that it was just an isolated incident. And in fact, I think Brett hypothesized that perhaps someone in the store had used the, the device and connected it up to, the, to, to another device, to a computer or to the net, and it got infected that way. They boxed it up again and then sold it on and... The unsuspecting customer obviously discovers the malware on it. Well, it turns out that I don't think it's quite as isolated as Vodafone initially made us think. Apparently, the malware is linked to a batch of 3,000 memory cards, all which are suspected to have this malware on it. So what might, this is in Spain, by the way. So what Vodafone Spain is doing now is that it's reissuing the uh, mem- replacement memory cards for people who have bought the suspected malware-infected ones uh, in their HTC phones. So just a little update there because, it, we, you know, we kind of left the story on the assumption that Vodafone's later statement was correct, which was that it was an isolated case. In fact, it's not. So... Uh, A little scary, really, because the next question, of course, is how did the malware get onto those 3,000 memory cards? Now, that's the next thing we need to investigate because, uh, you know, we don't know who the supplier is, uh, but who, you know, it would be interesting to find out who the supplier actually is and ask an explanation from them as to how the malware got on it. So (laughs) that's still, you can keep digging, basically. Now, news this week, Google is interested in what Microsoft has to say about what was wrong with Google Buzz. Now, what I find ironic about this is that Microsoft are coming out criticizing Google Buzz as, well, rightly so. I mean, that was probably the the worst launch of an IT-related service recently. Uh, you know, there were all the privacy issues with it. They Basically, Google dropped the ball. Or, in fact, as episode 54 of this podcast is titled, which is a quote from Brett on that show, Buzz didn't really have a ball to start with. And that kind of sums it up pretty well. So they, 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 ha- they made a hash of this. So what's interesting is that Diana Boyd from Microsoft has criticized the privacy failings of uh, Google Buzz. But when has Microsoft released anything that's better than Google? When, when was Microsoft the leader in, in the field? Their search engine's no good. They don't have a Twitter slash Facebook service. Admittedly, they have a reasonably good webmail service. I'll give them that. They're playing catch up in the online apps space. Their music players and also ran. The online store with the lack of integration with the Zune and the, the Xbox, although that's due to be fixed soon shows that they're still in their infancy in that area. So when when was Microsoft a leader in the field to be able to tell Google what they've done wrong? But anyway, Google are quite interested to hear what Microsoft have to say, and that's the, that's the interesting thing. But good on, good on Google for being open about it and being so willing to take on criticism and to listen to what people have to say. Incidentally, Google actually say that Google Buzz is not actually an attempt to challenge Facebook or Twitter. They say that in order for Buzz to grow, it doesn't necessarily mean that other networks have to decline. Now on to Apple. 
Well, where do we start with this one? If you own an iPod, you know that replacing the battery is no easy task. In fact, you can't actually even do it yourself. We're not supposed to be able to do it yourself. And if you own an iPhone, exactly the same thing. Well, guess what? The iPad is no different. So what I'm alluding to here is that with the iPad, when the battery dies, and I mean dies in the sense that it no longer holds its charge, you know, uh, batteries do have a finite lifetime. So when that happens, what do you do? What do you do with your iPad? Do you throw it out and buy a new one? Well, in actual fact, that's pretty much what you do. Apple are offering a $99 battery replacement service, which includes a new iPad for free. (laughs) It comes with the battery. Yeah, so basically what you do is you surrender your, your current iPad, fork out $99 plus shipping and tax. This is US dollars too, by the way. And then Apple will give you back a brand new iPad with a brand new battery in it. That's how it works. Of course, the downside is, is that none of your data is going to be on that new iPad, so you better make sure that you're synchronizing it to iTunes regularly so that when you get your replacement one, uh, you can simply resynchronize that one and all your stuff is back. Of course, you may be wondering what happens to the data on your original iPad, and that's a very good question, because we've seen stories in the past where companies have released hard drives with data on it or refurbished equipment from which data can be recovered. So... It is a valid question, and I really don't know whether you can wipe them before sending them onto Apple, but I would certainly want to be doing that if possible. So I don't know why Apple insists on this non-user replaceable battery system. In fact, it's, it's crazy if you look at it. Why shouldn't I as a user be able to replace my battery? Why do I need to take it to Apple, whether it's an iPhone, an iPod, or an iPad? And, you know, as enthusiastic as I am about Apple products... I really do think this is one of the major shortcomings. Okay, I mean, I still bought an iPod. I bought one recently. Uh, and I can't. I know I can't replace the battery. So when the battery no longer holds its charge, I really don't have much of a choice other than buying another iPod. But I still bought this iPod. I guess the reason for that is simply that the superiority in the hardware, the software, the interface and all that kind of outweighs the downside of having to, to upgrade. Plus, with the, I, I, you can argue also with the iPod is that it kind of depreciates so quickly. You know, there's always a new model out every year and you kind of want to upgrade anyway. So at the end of three or four years, when your battery eventually no longer holds its charge, you probably really don't want to be continuing with that very same iPod anyway. You probably want to buy a new iPod. So I guess that's part of it. As for the iPad, I'm not quite sure whether that's going to depreciate so quickly, but I I guess time will tell. But I still don't see why Apple have to have this mentality of, sealing the batteries in so that users can't replace them it just seems crazy right that's enough criticizing apple now time to criticize microsoft well it's not as if they don't get their fair share of criticism uh this is not really a criticism but more a bit of a uh, bit of poking fun at them because you know when the iphone didn't have uh, copy paste remember that they introduced copy paste to the iphone not long ago it was in fact in one of the recent updates well, yeah, people were kind of laughing at Apple saying, how could you have forgotten copy-paste? And, the, you know, the jokes were going around and all that sort of stuff. Well, now it's Microsoft's turn. Yeah, so their new 7 Series phone operating system is not going to have a copy-paste. And that's deliberate. Microsoft says it's absolutely deliberate, which to me is, seems, seems crazy because people want copy-paste. In fact, Apple were forced, well, I use the term forced loosely, but Apple were effectively forced into introducing the copy-paste feature onto their iPhone because people wanted it. So how this is going to work with Microsoft's 7 Series operating system for phones, I don't know. 
if you ask Microsoft, they do have an answer. They say, well, they're going to implement what they call smart linking. An example of that is a user could, say, double-click on a phone number and either choose to call it or add it to the phone book from, from a menu system that pops up. So in other words, an intelligent, context-sensitive type menu. And Microsoft say that removes the need for copy-paste because at the end of the day, let's take the example with the, the phone number. Why are you copy-pasting that phone number? Probably because you want to call it or because you want to store it in your address book. So Microsoft's answer is the smart linking, which instead of copy-paste has the options I just described. But I, I'm a little sceptical because I think that that's all well and good for certain things. But surely there are times where you simply want to copy-paste from one source to another, from one application to another application or something like that. So quite how long Microsoft are going to get away without a copy-paste feature, I'm not sure, but I guess time will tell. Now this week we've reached a milestone. Facebook has finally topped Google as the most popular website. That's right, Facebook.com accounted for 7.07% of all US web traffic last week. And Google in that same period only received 703 so very close. In fact, that's much of a muchness. But what is interesting is that the popularity of Facebook is actually growing at a faster rate than that of Google. So Facebook is certainly, you know, coming along with leaps and bounds. Something I should point out, though, is that we're only comparing the domain name Facebook.com with Google.com. So what's not being compared are all the Google sites versus all the, the Facebook sites. So if you aggregate all the sites that Google actually operates, such as Google.com, Gmail.com, YouTube, and all those others, then uh, Google, in fact, does come out at number one. And in fact, Yahoo works out as number two. Nevertheless, it's still a great milestone for Facebook and uh, shows their popularity. Unfortunately, Brett not being here, I can't engage in the usual banter about me not being on Facebook because I... I think I'm probably the last person left that's not on Facebook, but never mind. That's another story. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Edwin Herman. And while I'm on the topic, you can also find the Boys of Tech on Twitter at twitter.com slash Boys of Tech. And lastly for this week, sex.com goes under the hammer. Yeah, it's for sale once again. Last time it sold, it sold for 14 million US dollars. <laughs> that's a phenomenal amount. And unfortunately, predictions are that this time around, it's not going to fetch that much. But if you want to take part on the auction, you have to have a certified check for $1 million, which is the reserve price. So you, if you haven't got that certified check with you, you can't even take place in the in the auction, just in case you wanted it. So watch this space because it'll be interesting to see how much it actually goes for. And folks, that's episode 58 all wrapped up. It's been a quick one. Hopefully we have Brett back on board next week. In the meantime, take care. Don't forget our website, boysoftech.com. Feel free to leave comments there if you like. And we hope to see you again next week. Until then, take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.